Hey everyone, got a fantastic episode for you today uh, from Faith Apries in Manitoba, Canada. I've got Brad Hogg. Now, Brad pretty much does it all. He's a honey producer, does his own queens, his own hardware. And for those of you out there who are thinking of going commercial, I couldn't recommend enough his YouTube channel where he does instructional videos and he even does weekly vlogs talking about the life of a beekeeper. So thanks for being with us today, Brad. Thanks, Brent. Uh, I'm very pleased to be here, and uh, I'm, I'm honored that you would uh, choose to feature me on your podcast, and thanks for the kind words there in the introduction. Yeah, you're welcome. Now, we'll start off today, Brad, with a funny beekeeping story, if you've got one you'd like to share with us. I do, and forgive me if it, it might be a little bit long, but I'd like to tell the whole story for context, uh, because I think it adds meaning. Uh, two, two summers ago, so this would have been uh, 2022, um, in, in the mid-season, so probably this would have been in, I think it was probably late June. Uh, so remembering late June is just at the beginning of my honey flow. Uh, a girl phoned me, and I think she was about 20 years old or so, and she uh, was unsure what she wanted to ask me, but what she wanted to do was she wanted to find a beekeeper in the area where she could take her grandmother uh, to, to visit an apiary. And that's because her grandmother uh, is from Eritrea and she was a beekeeper in Eritrea. Um, so she wanted to experience the beekeeping culture here in Canada. So once we got that established, that that's what she wanted to do, I invited them out. I always offer a, a bee yard tour in the summer to people uh, when they come to buy honey or for any other reason. I love to have visitors and I love to share it with people. Uh, so I explained that to her and, and they showed up in a minivan right full of people. It was, it was the girl. It was her mother. Uh, I think she had one or two siblings with her and then grandmother. So now grandmother didn't speak English and I don't speak Eritrean. So this was kind of, this is the root of the, what I would call the funny story. And it, you know, very heartwarming story for me. And I, she was very tentative. Everybody climbed out of the, out of the minivan and they were very excited to be here. And my apiary, for those who maybe haven't seen any of my videos, it's set up so that you can actually drive right to the apiary. You can drive into the apiary, right up to the beehives. And I've had people, they maybe are timid. They don't want to get out of the car or maybe somebody has mobility issues. And so I can bring, you know, frames of bees and frames of honey to them at the car. So they drove up to the apiary and grandmother was having nothing, no part of this. Remember where she's from. And, uh, and, and I, I, you know, in my beekeeper way, without using my words, I had to say, okay, I went, I, I made sure I left my veil off because I didn't want to have any protection that anyone else ha didn't have. So I left my veil off. I went to a hive. I pulled a frame of bees from the hive and I brought it over to her to show her these are not your African bees. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and yeah. she understood what I was doing there. You know, when I wave my hands over the bees and 
I said, you know, I say it's okay, but I did offer her a veil and I do have veils for the other people as well. So the funny thing that came about was they were all standing in the apiary as a group. I went to a beehive and I pulled a, a frame of honey. Now this was early in the honey flow. So it was mostly filled with uh, green nectar, I guess is, is really the term for it. It's honey that's not cured yet. So it's quite full in the comb, but it's not capped. And there was a very little bit of it that was capped. So I thought, okay, here's examples that I can talk about. I took that frame and I held it to, in front of the group. And before I could say anything, the grandmother started pointing and waving her hand in front of it and talking in Eritrean. And I had no idea, you know, I couldn't understand what she was saying. I shouldn't say no idea though, because I knew exactly what she was saying. And, and uh, so she got done and, I, I interrupted. I said to the girl who was translating, I said, okay, I said, I'm going to tell you what she said. And so I went through the whole thing. And the girl looked at me and she said, that's exactly what she said. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and grandmother was, was nodding her head. And, you know, so to me, that was such a heartwarming uh, uh, kind of experience, you know, to yeah. have that connection, a beekeeper, completely different bees, different culture, halfway across the world and we're not even speaking the same language but we yeah. are speaking the same language we yeah, have that yeah. commonality yeah, so that, yeah, i thought that was page. really funny yeah they absolutely. had a good laugh that's exactly what she said <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's interesting those african bees i've got a good friend in south africa who uh sends me videos of his beekeeping it oh it's full on <laughs> i wouldn't keep bees like that yeah. I, I have respect for those people they're oh that's full on yeah. Now, Brad, first question for you today. Thanks, thanks by the way for that story. That was fantastic, and I really like uh, I really like the way that you've got your apiary set up so that you can have people drive straight in. That's a great idea. I should I should do that, just because you know there might be someone who doesn't want to get out of the car just to take that. That's a great idea. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've done it that way because you know, watch my videos. I have my little tractor that I use for lifting everything, mm -hmm. and so I need to be able to drive to it, and I need to be able to drive around. Mm -hmm. um, so that just by default set it up so that you can actually drive a car in there. Yeah, no problem. Excellent. So first question today uh, is around your. You've got a video about using two uh, hives to support one stack of supers. So that's two queens, and they're both contributing towards one gigantic stack of supers. Is that that's really interesting? Do you have any issues with that? With the, with the, with the bees attacking uh, the other queens? Uh, no, um, I don't use that system anymore, though. Okay. Uh, so I'll kind of go through it. Uh, two queen systems typically are used by people who maybe want to make comb honey. So they just want to maximize the amount of foragers plugging one space, which would be, you know, would be, uh, would be that comb honey super or something like that. And there's different configurations. Sometimes they have, uh, sometimes they have a, another colony on top. Uh, sometimes they have it, uh, you know, one queen and, and colony on the top of the hive, one on the bottom, and they work between. Um, the the worker bees, the bees in the hive that are working on the honey supers, no effect at all. They they don't fight. They're so, I think they're just so focused. You know how bees get, right? They get very, very focused on one thing, and they're not easily distracted. Um, 
So, so there's no problem there. Uh, the reason I use that, I did use that system is that when I started beekeeping, trying to develop an IPM strategy, uh, one of the things I wanted to do was to use the drone trapping, the drone mite trapping uh, system where you, you use drone comb uh, to trap the mites in the drone comb and then uh, in the drone brood, and then you remove that brood on a timely basis and freeze it or scrape it off or cut it out or something to hopefully eradicate some or most or whatever of the mites. I can't say that it wasn't effective. I, I think it was quite effective. Uh, however, it became way too much work as I scaled my operation. I, I'm one person and I just realized I couldn't keep up. Mm. And and the downside, and, and it, well, I'll, I'll flesh that out a little bit. And the reason that I used this single super on the center of two tents, so it's a two 10 frame line straws side by side, single deep brood chambers, and then a single deep uh, honey super in the center between the two. So basically that uh, super is covering about five frames of each of those brood chambers. And the other five frames are just under a, a small cover. Mm. And it, for those people listening, it looks a little bit like an Olympic podium. Yeah, yeah, or an upside down letter T, right? Yeah, so that's you've better. Got the, yeah, <laughs> the single deeps on the bottom, and then a, a long, a tall tower in the center. Um, I found that the production was not uh, any more than I would normally get out of those hives. Um, so what that gave me with the IPM. Uh, frame to remove the drones was that allowed me to to run that frame in about position three three or four even and then i could take that small cover off and pull that frame even though i might have six deeps of honey above it i could easily just access the brood chamber and if i really needed to i could slide the other frames out and access all 10 with mm -hmm. a with a j-hook um hive tool the big downside to me was that if there's a queen issue in one of those colonies, the mix of pheromones with the commingling of the bees and everything, the colony won't requeen. Okay. The, the, the colony with the dead queen doesn't realize they're queenless. Ah, okay. Yes. And yeah. I think there's also, to carry that thought on, I think there's also a situation where if both colonies aren't really the same strength, the strong one will end up taking over. It'll the the weak one will peter out. The the bees maybe migrate to one side or something like that. But I stopped doing it because I was just kind of losing too many colonies uh, to this inability to requeen. Mm. Now here's a question for you. Let's say you were using two ten frame boxes and putting three six frame nukes on top of it for raising queens. And you were putting them on, say, canola, which I know you do a lot of over there. If you were to do that for, say, five or six weeks, just to have those boxes built up, do you think that'd work? So basically, if I if we can paraphrase what you just described, you're basically making a, a double deep brew chamber. Um, and I'm not going to talk about whether they're 10-frame boxes or 6-frame boxes or whatever. Uh, so you're making a double deep brew chamber so that the queen can lay in two layers kind of thing so they can lay in the bottom and she can lay in the top is is that kind of what you're 
describing. No, I mean, if uh, if you were to put two colonies next to each other and two 10-frame yeah. boxes will support three six-frame nucleuses sure. on top, that would be the same uh, spacing. So if you were to put three uh, six-frame nucleuses on top of queen excluders, would those two colonies draw out those three nukes uh, sufficiently? Oh, I see. Um, absolutely. They, they, yeah, they would not know any different, really, because it's only the center one that is is going to be sharing resources there. Yes, and and there's no issues with uh, bees from the other colony going in and, and attacking the queen from the the other colony. If there's a queen excluder yeah. over that, then then the no. The, the bees won't, they don't go from one over the top and down through the other and okay. cause a problem. That's yeah. really interesting. House bees are like that. House bees, I've learned, are far less aggressive to a queen. You know, I think, I think if you have very young bees, you can probably introduce queens to very young bees very easily. It's, it's the old cranky bees that uh, take exception to something different, mm. you know. Now, one of the videos that I really like of yours is a video that's titled Zombie uh, Mating Nukes. <laughs> it's really, really interesting. And I was actually recommended by by Ian Stepler to, to check out this video. So do you want to tell us, it's a really cool video. Do you want to tell us a bit about your zombie mating nukes? Sure. Uh, the term zombie uh, kind of came up, I think it was last summer. And I think it's a good, kind of a good uh, term for these in as much as what they are. So I'll go back to what they are. Um, if I have colonies in the spring that are just not catching on, they're just not building up and they're not performing, you know, to something that I think uh, they will uh, be productive in the honey flow. Then because I have the equipment and people will say, oh, it's a waste, you know, waste of equipment and all. Well, I have the equipment. It's sitting in a pile in the apiary. So I figure it might as well have bees in it. So I'll take those colonies that are just kind of weak and not really catching on. And I'll just move those over into a, either a four frame box or a six frame box. Most of them are six frame boxes. And I'll just set them in the corner. And a lot of them do just die, but a lot of them actually produce. And so we call them zombies because they're just kind of the living dead, right? They're just mm -hmm. colonies that were in essence dead and you might otherwise pinch the queen and, and take the resources elsewhere, which is a, a good thing to do. You know, use those resources to make another viable colony, replace the queen with a new one, that kind of thing. However, if she's still laying in there, I leave that zombie nuke in the corner and then she'll produce resources for me all summer long in many cases and some of them get extremely strong some of them actually i go and winter them which you know is beyond my my better judgment but you know you can't help it when it comes to be later in the season right um so those zombie nukes sometimes some summers it works out way better than others 2022 uh, the zombie nukes didn't give me quite as much 23 they gave me everything I could possibly have wanted. Um, I made <clears throat> I made a hundred and some nukes from my grafting program last summer, and a hundred percent of the resources used for those nukes, and a hundred percent of the resources used for my uh, my cell builder came from the zombies. 
So there was zero resource stealing from my production colonies in order to do my grafting and, and make my mating nukes and the subsequent nukes uh, that went into winter. So mm. they really paid off this year. And I was chatting with a guy, I was chatting with a bunch of friends and, and one guy uh, during the conversation, he said, well, you're just doing what Michael Palmer does. I never considered that. And I thought, well, it's not exactly what he does, but it kind of is. It's using resource hives. Mm-hmm. It's using resource nukes. And that's really what they are. So I, I'm a big Palmer fan. Yeah, uh, me too, actually. And a really great idea. And I think it's really cool because let's say you've got some extra cells that you didn't think you were going to have and you can just make up a nuke on the spot. Really, really cool idea. Absolutely. Now, now you do a lot of on-the-spot queen rearing. Do you want to tell us uh, how you do that? Um, I have done, and that's another thing that I've kind of, I wouldn't say I've grown out of, but uh, I'll, I'll get into the kind of why of, of that uh, here in a minute. Um, if if a listener hasn't heard of OTS, on the spot is what OTS stands for, on the spot queen rearing. Uh, it was um, developed, it, it's a whole system though, it's not just a way to make a queen. The OTS is a whole system of making increase, making nukes and running your apiary. And it was uh, developed by a man named Mel Disselcone from uh, Michigan. And he wrote a book on it too, if you uh, care to look that up sometime and get his book. Um, OTS really is, when it comes down to the actual making of the queen, you know, you have grafting, you have NICOTs, and you have walkaway splits, and you have, you know, Hopkins method, all this kind of stuff. Well, OTS is very similar to walkaway split with some heavy caveats. And the heavy caveats are you need to have that hive ready to swarm. You need to have them built up so heavily that they need to make a queen. Then you make them queenless. And the big difference is you can have some control over where they make those queens. And why you'd want to do that is so that then you can take the frame where they've built those queens and make splits and, you know, do whatever else you want to do, make increase or, or whatnot. So they have this notch and I try to tell people that there's nothing magic in this notch thing, but I'll describe it. You take your hive tool and you, you find the correctly aged larva and it's okay if you're not right, because the bees are really good at selecting the right one. I usually just do lots and lots and what I think is right. And the bees usually, they make out okay. So you pull, you, you cut the cell in two, don't disturb the larva, but cut it in two or slightly below a half. And then you go right to the foundation, pull it down and flatten it out. So that there's this flat space below that. And what it does is it, it triggers in the bee to look at that cell differently. They'll look at that cell and they'll see that that cell has no bottom. So if this cell has no bottom, it must be a queen cell. So I'll treat it like that. I'll feed it like that and I'll build it like that. And it works. It, it does help them. Sometimes they, they just say, no, 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 Charlie, we're not doing that. And they just fix it up again and go about their business. But often they'll make a queen cell out of that. So that's the, the kind of the way to raise the queen. And I'll go into why I don't really use it too much. If I'm going to requeen, I may just do that. Uh, because the one thing it does give you is it gives you that brood break. 
course, something that you're not dealing with quite yet, I'm sure, but we all know you're going to deal with is these varroa mites. And a brood break is a very good varroa mite uh, tool to uh, to reduce the varroa mite population. So OTS gives you that brood break uh, in there. I found that I couldn't raise enough queens fast enough with fewer resources using the OTS model that that sat, would satisfy me. I wanted to grow my operation. I wanted to make more nukes and I wanted to make more queens and OTS wasn't really keeping up with me. Uh, so really grafting is the only way to get that volume. Mm -hmm. What In what situation do you think OTS would be good for someone? If you're, uh, certainly if, if you're looking to sustain your apiary, uh, or grow it a little. Uh, you want to make, say, a 25% increase in your apiary, um, or you want to just sustain it, then OTS is perfect for that because it's fast. It doesn't take much um, uh, effort, doesn't take much time. And uh, you can you can really, it, it's pretty reliable. And you know, the quality of queens that come out of OTS are just amazing. They're mm. really good queens. Um, because you haven't handled that larva, you've they get to choose the age and all that kind of stuff. And and the one key that you can control in that is the quality of the builder. The quality of the queen comes exactly from the quality of the builder every time, no matter what method you're using. And OTS is no different. If you have a hive that is just bursting, coming into swarm season, you make it queenless. They've got all of the triggers that they need to and, and all of the resources, uh, you know, they got right at the beginning of the honey flow, got some pollen on board, all of those things. Uh, Mel preaches that the best queen is mated after the summer solstice. Uh, so he takes that from some historical books as well. But I found that that's, I believe that's true as well. Mm. Yeah, the high, very high quality queens, if you do it right, very high quality. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so now you're in Manitoba, Canada, where it gets quite cold. Do you want to tell us about overwintering many nukes uh, living in those conditions? Well, I cheat because I winter indoors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't been mating a lot of, uh, haven't been wintering a lot of mating nukes yet. I've done some proof of concept wintering. I've wintered uh, mini mating nukes. Uh, they're five frames, half width medium depth and i had that in a, a a quad mini i call it so it's a it's a it's a 10 frame medium box divided into four i've wintered that successfully uh, so you you think it's just got a handful of bees in it and, and it actually winters uh, so that's a good way to get some early season queens i've wintered what i call a three by three which is a 10 a 10 frame box with two dividers. So you have three sections, three frames each. And I've wintered those successfully as well. But I winter in my building. Uh, I do wrap those. I put a bee cozy, a nod bee cozy on those and put them in my building. It runs 4C all winter, all the way from early November till late March. Um, and then they come out, they've come out with 60 to 75% success in those methods. I, I don't, 
I don't know if you could winter them outside. You probably can, but you would likely have to pair them up with some strong colonies, maybe set them atop some strong colonies or something like that. I'd have to do experimenting to, uh, to know that. Mm. Mm. And, and speaking of which, uh, using double screen boards, you've got a couple of videos talking about three-way mating nukes using double screen boards and really interesting I, method. I used that one time because when I wintered that three-way mating nuke, um, I, it was pretty small coming out of winter and I wanted to get it atop uh, a stronger colony. So I made a, a double screen board for the bottom of it. And, and you're taxing my memory as to exactly how all that went because it was a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> But that, so that you might is, know more than I do because you've been watching the videos, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but that is a really good method just for listeners out there. If you're in a, in a cold area and you're looking for a way of bringing your hive back to life, uh, double screen boards, really, really interesting method. Absolutely. And and you know what else is a really interesting method? And, and I got this from Ian and from Ian's mentor, one of Ian's mentors. Um, and it's it's a similar idea to a double screen board so let's say we come out of winter and i've got a i've got a nice strong colony here so we're talking about double uh, single deep brood chambers uh 10 frame and so i've got a really nice strong colony on this hand and over here i have one that's struggling right and i have to determine why are they struggling are they struggling because they're small or are they struggling because there's something wrong with them right so i have to make that determination quite often because the springtime here is still fairly cold uh, these small clusters just can't get much of a foothold to raise much brood so they don't get that momentum going so what we can do and you need to have uh, you need to have brood in the small colony to, for this to work but you can actually take that small colony uh, put a layer of one layer of newspaper over the strong one, put a queen excluder over the strong one and set the weak one on top of that. And do you wait a week to 10 days? And I, I've had great success with this, not a hundred percent, but great success. Uh, you wait a week just to 10 days, you come back and that top one will be right full of bees and doing great. Because they not only then get the, the heat resources from the bottom, but they actually get bees. And it's the bees that they need to actually feed that brood nest and make a stronger colony. I did try it a little bit earlier in the season. My second year I was doing it didn't have good success because there wasn't brood up top uh, to stabilize everything. And, and they just come up through and kill the queen. <laughs> mm. So those didn't work. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thanks, Brad, for being on the show today. Now, do you want to tell us where we can find you in terms of your, your business and uh, your website? Sure. Uh, so my business name is Faith Apiaries. Um, faithapiaries.ca is my website. It's not much of a website. It's just a, a modest presence. Um, my YouTube channel is that Man at Faith Apiaries. And you can find me also at Faith Apiaries on, uh, on Facebook as well. Fantastic. Yeah, Faith Apiaries at Instagram as well, too. I don't do very much Instagram, but it's still there. Fantastic. Now, is there anything else you'd like to chat about today before we wrap it up? Oh, I feel like I've been doing nothing but talking. You're probably tired <laughs> of me by now. 
Ah, great. I great really stories. appreciate this. This is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite, uh, I'm quite honored that uh, you would ask and, and that you say you've been watching some of my videos to, to, you know, do some research. I appreciate that. It's really yeah. nice. It's a fantastic YouTube channel. And as I said at the start, if you're someone who's thinking of going commercial, the, the weekly vlogs are really, really amazing. You know, it's, it's great well, to see you. the life of the beekeeper, you know, from week to week, what to expect. Yeah, doing a great job. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Have a, have a great uh, upcoming season and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Okay, well, how good was that having a chat with Brad? Really nice guy. And if you haven't seen his YouTube videos yet, I highly recommend those. He's at Faith Apries. I'll link those in the show notes. He's got some great beekeeping videos. But one thing I really like are the weekly vlogs. So if you're interested in knowing what it's like to be a commercial operator, he's got these great week-to-week videos showing the whole process. It's a great insight. Thanks again, Brad, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. I'll link that YouTube channel in the show notes. Also, in the show notes, I'm going to link the Facebook group for this podcast. It's called Breeding the Honeybee, and it's a great place to come along, comment on the episodes, maybe teach us a few things, or just say hi. So that's the Facebook group for this podcast. Now, next month, I've got a great episode coming up for you. I've got Willie Robson. Willie is a beekeeper at Chainbridge Honey Farm, which is a family business. He's been working there since 1962. It's right up on the Scottish border. So we're talking about the UK here, but it's right up on the Scottish border. And he's going to tell us all about what it's like to be a commercial honey producer using Apis mellifera mellifera, the English black bee. So really, really interesting episode coming up. If you don't want to miss it, make sure you subscribe. And until next time, thanks so much for tuning in.